Hello and welcome to How Westminster Works, a podcast from Politics Home that takes a deep dive into the history, quirks and peculiar practices of UK politics. I'm your host, Alan Tolhurst, and in this episode, we're looking at the least seen, but arguably the most important part of an MP's job, whether they are newly elected backbencher or a senior government minister, casework. Every year, MPs and their staff receive thousands of requests for help from the people they are elected to represent, ranging from the everyday problems about bin collections and parking spaces, to highly sensitive pleas about immigration, medical care and crime. We spoke to MPs and the dedicated caseworkers that staff their offices across the length and breadth of the country to find out more about how they deal with the never-ending intray of vital work. Tim Farron is a Liberal Democrat MP for Westmoreland and Lonsdale, a relatively rural constituency in Cumbria with a population of around 84,000. When we speak, he's celebrating his team's achievement of completing their 10,000th piece of casework in just 12 months. And despite much of his time in Westminster being taken up with making speeches and Commons debates, attending meetings and voting on legislation, he still views casework as one of his top priorities. I think it probably differs MP to MP. To me, it's probably the number one issue, or certainly is in my top two or three, because I think serving your community is the main calling from my perspective as of a member of parliament and and that means being their advocate their voice using the resources and the access that you've got um to get outcomes for people that are um that are good and you know so a, a large chunk of this morning being taken up with supporting one uh young homeless person um with multiple needs and here we are on the brink of a bank holiday and trying to um, get through to services that are largely closed. So it takes them an awful lot of time. And it's also, on a personal level, the most rewarding thing. And when you're dealing with casework and you're dealing with individuals' experiences, that gives you a kind of authenticity when you then go to Parliament and you talk about the making of laws and you feed into departmental questions. These are no longer issues of policy and opinion. They're based upon experience of what works, what doesn't work, and how we can make things better. Like many MPs, Farron has held national party roles in addition to being his constituents' representative in Parliament. Over his 17 years in Westminster, he served as his party spokesperson on various policy areas, from foreign affairs to housing, and for two years was the leader of Liberal Democrats. But whether you are a minister, a party leader, or even the prime minister himself, your constituents are still going to expect you to be there for them, and those seen as neglecting their own patch risk the wrath of voters at the ballot box. It's why even the busiest members of Parliament will do their best to get back to their constituency on a Friday, a day that is traditionally reserved for scheduled surgeries where local people can meet their MP face-to-face to explain their problems. Most of the time in an MP I've had some additional role of some kind or another. So, you know, for instance, uh, when I was first elected, I, with the Liberal Democrats were a much larger parliamentary force. We had 63 MPs and therefore, you know, people who are our front benches actually behave like shadow secretaries of state. And I... Um, was basically the death of Shadow Secretary of State under Nick Clegg when we were in opposition. I was then party president and then party leader in the last five years. Um, I've, you know, not, not been those things really. But so th- we do do multiple roles and that doesn't mean that you love your constituency any less. Uh, and so I would, uh, run myself ragged really by making sure I was in my patch at least four days a week, even when I was leader. Uh, and and put extra resource into staffing to make sure we did casework. But it's funny about people's perceptions. Um, even so, even when you are still working hard as a constituency MP, when you're a party leader, 
when I step down, and for some months afterwards, even occasionally now, uh, people will say, oh, you know, I'm so glad you're back, as if I'd gone away. <laughs> um, and, and I haven't. I mean, it's lovely that they think it's nice that I'm back, so I'm pleased about that, um, rather than, oh, dear, here you are. Um, uh, you know, so it's nice that they say that, but it gives you a percep- an idea of people's perception that if you ha- have a high-profile national role, you can't, therefore, be a good local MP. Actually, in my experience, that's not true. It's harder, but you can do it. But while MPs may try their best to get personally involved in helping as many constituents as possible, much of the heavy lifting is done by a team, usually four or five strong, who work either in the MPs' offices located in the constituency or in their Westminster office. It's a unique role, and unlike civil servants, staff are hired and managed directly by their MP, leading to suggestions the operations are equivalent to 650 small businesses operating all over the country. Charlotte Blegay works as a caseworker in the inner London constituency of Southwark and is the first person that those seeking help with a problem will encounter when they phone, email or visit the office of their local MP. Despite the complexity of the role, there is no clear path for those who want to become a caseworker to follow and very little formal training for those who take up the role. Part social worker and part therapist, the job attracts people from a broad range of backgrounds and although it is not political, most MPs request their staff share a sympathy with their broad views of their party. As a result, the job can be a springboard for those with bigger political ambitions, while others relish the chance to work on the front line in their own communities. Whatever their motivation, there is a consensus over the skills you need to be an effective caseworker. Um, so one thing I learned from being a caseworker is a lot of people come into the office and they don't really have major expectations for what they're going to get out of it. Um, most of the time it just requires a lot of listening. So really kind, really showing that you're understanding and being empathetic to people's problems. Um, because it may seem very small to you listening in comparison to many other problems that might come into the office, but to that individual, to that person, um, it could be massive. It could literally be the thing that is, um, disrupting their everyday life. So, showing that you understand and you're listening and you're empathetic um and being able to communicate as well you know effectively because at the end of the day we still have to write to um different organizations and communicate their their needs effectively um so i would say one of some of the key skills or some of the key things that you need to have to do casework is empathy um listening skills, uh, communicating, um, and just a level of, of warmth and kindness, really. A bit of compassion. I think that goes a long way. The same, Farron says, is true for MPs, who often arrive in Parliament after being elected for the first time with a mountain of casework already waiting for them, despite no formal training on how to deal with it. When one MP is replaced by another, either after a general election or a by-election, the same constituent still needs support. So often does that happen that a common joke among new MPs is about the inevitable congratulation email they receive within seconds of them finishing at the polling station saying, very well done on your result. Now, about my bins. It's all about keeping your ears and your eyes open, looking for people to serve, serving them, reporting back and making sure you do a good job. Either um, a... a Literally, my political hero is a lady called Neva Oral, who's the councillor for Leyland in Lancashire, which was, you know, basically where I grew up. Um, and I remember her, I used to go around to hers a lot and help with her campaigns. I remember would ring her up and she'd finish off a conversation with somebody who'd raise an issue with her and she'd say, words to the effect of, um, well, Mrs. Bloggs, I 10 out of 10 promise I'll do my best. 
I six out of ten promise that I will succeed. <laughs> I think that's you know, so, so you, you must do your best for people. You won't always get the the outcome that you want, but you have to leave no one st- no stone unturned. And when it comes down to it, people who come to you may be let down and dropped. Uh, given up on by lots of different agencies. You have to be that one agency in that chain that didn't give up on them. But sometimes, confusion between party politics and the role of an MP as the representative or the constituents in Westminster can bring its own challenges, with many people hesitant to approach their local MP for support if they feel there may be party political interference, something which all MPs strongly avoid. Yes, I mean, I guess I've, I've always... I've spent, I've been an MP for 17 years, I've spent five of them... Um, as a member of the coalition, if you like, and therefore as a kind of government backbencher, as a kind of backbencher because I was party president as well. So it was a bit of a, a strange hybrid time. But nevertheless, you're in a position there where you are kind of defending the things that a government is doing, or at least potentially you are, sometimes I couldn't. Um, but so the, but I, I hope I have um, encouraged and built a culture here in Cumbria where people know they don't need to agree with me or to vote it for me and to get in touch with me. Um, and the idea that you're you're only going to get in touch with a politician who agrees with you 100% of the time, well, you'll, you'll be lucky to find one of them. <laughs> um, and, uh, and in, no, I, I think the, the, the I, I absolutely try and keep my casework operation and my approach to casework very separate from any kind of party politics. I wouldn't want anyone to think that they have to vote for me because I come and... Um, uh, because if they come and come to me for help, or uh, you know, or they, they, they can only come to me if they agree with me in the first place, that's not the case. I'm here for everybody. Sometimes those who arrive at the office believe the opposite: that their strong support for the local party might push them to the top of the queue or get them preferential treatment. Something which Charlotte insists could not be further from the truth. Absolutely. Um, one of the key things that we get a lot at the door is people that say, "I've been a." Labour supporter, I've been a, you know, I've been so and so supporter for years, and they think that by saying that somehow that will, you know, get us to help them more, or if they say this, it will get us, you know, it will stop us from helping them more than we can. And actually, you know, it's not party driven. At the end of the day, the MP is there to represent everyone within their constituency, and so, um, yeah, and so I do think that. That a lot of people, they, they don't necessarily see their MP as just a voice for them or an advocate for them. I think that, you know, it takes them coming into the office and speaking to someone within the office to realise, you know, it doesn't really matter how big or small their issue is. And regardless of whoever it is that they follow politically, um, their MP is there to help them. Um, that takes, I think for some people, it takes actually engaging with the office to realise that. While the skills required for the job might be the same across the country, the kind of casework that arrives in each office can vary drastically, with some offices dominated by immigration problems, while others may be focused on fly-tipping and bus services. Especially in urban areas, immigration can be a dominating issue, one which requires an intricate understanding of the law and a lot of patience for those dealing with an overstretched home office to resolve complex cases. Yeah, I actually spoke with um, a caseworker for an office um, in Scotland, somewhere rural, and we were on a immigration course, um, and they decided to take up that course because that was the f- they they came across their first immigration case um, that same month, and so to get a better understanding of immigration cases 
um, or casework, they they chose to go on that course. Um, by that point, I'd literally within the first week, you know, you come across so many immigration casework, you know, people that write in to get some kind of representation um, or, you know, for, for their for their application in the Home Office. Um, so, yeah, so it's the casework. I think casework in, in inner London is very, there's a lot of it, firstly, um, because there's a lot of people and people have a lot of problems. And so, yeah, so we, we get a lot of um, immigration casework, um, which I guess perhaps for a rural part of the country where, I don't know, they may not have, they may not come across as much immigration issues. Um, that might be the difference. Um, so, yeah, so we do get a lot of that. And housing as well, I think. Obviously, there'll be things that I probably am not aware of or, you know, casework that I don't necessarily have to deal with in terms of local authority casework. Um, but, yeah, for, for immigration cases, it's definitely, there's definitely a difference. In Farron's patch, the casework is significantly different, but no less challenging. And with various communities, from small towns to rural farms, they all bring their own unique challenges, which must be understood and addressed by the small team that work in his office. Yes, I mean, look, so I will have a less, um, I will have less turnover of population um, over a period of time. The people who live here will tend to stay here. Um, not, not all of them, obviously, but more than in, uh, you know, in, in London or Manchester, or certainly in central Manchester, um, central London, where there will be quite a lot of turnover of population. But we'll also have fewer, but not no, um, immigration cases. I've got plenty of immigration case work um, that we deal with, and they can be very complex, but I won't have as many, uh, for example, as um, the, you know, a, 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 an inner city uh, constituency. Our economic issues, social deprivation issues are different. Uh, we've got very, very little unemployment here. However, the employment that we've got is often not as well paid as all that. And I mean, the average house price is about 11 times the average income here. So there is poverty and there is need here. But I have to say that it's not of the volume um, that you would find in some urban constituencies. So that will, there, there will be differences. Um, uh, it's quite an educated population of people who are kind of, you know, um, of a sort to write to their MPs quite a lot and tell me what they think. And that's great. I'm, I really, I really value that. And I get tested by that. And that is really good. But I think the main difference is all about people. And when I mean people, I mean who the MP and who their team is. And if you go out looking for work, looking to be busy and seeking casework, seeking problems to fix and communities to get alongside, then you will generate that work. And if you don't, you won't. The other thing, of course, about a community like mine is that it's a collection of communities. There's a sense in which all roads lead to Kendall. Um, having said that, you know, Windermere, Grange, Ambleside, Milnthorpe, Sedbert, and I can keep going. There's loads of places that are very sizable. And so it, I guess you build up a, a series of relationships with lots of different communities with shared issues, but some of them very distinct. Um, and therefore, in some ways, that can make it easier because you're dealing with a series of smaller audiences rather than one big one. Um, but it, it's challenging, but it's also, you know, an absolute joy to do. Being accessible and having that presence in the community is vital to the work, but sadly it brings its risks to both MPs and their staff. 
the murders of Conservative MP David Amos at his constituency surgery and the Labour MP Joe Cox, who was travelling to one, has shown the very real dangers that MPs and their staff working on the front line can be exposed to. Their deaths, along with the surge in abuse aimed at parliamentarians, has triggered numerous discussions about whether extra protections are necessary to protect them while working in their communities. But the consensus continues to be that keeping that access open, without security scanners or police guards, is a vital part of maintaining a deep connection to their community. Um, to be honest, I never really thought about safety up until the more recent events, just because you never assume that if someone is coming into the office for help, that they would want to hurt you. Um, you know, that I think that's maybe that's my naivety in, in thinking that way. But most of the time when people come in, you know, they come in because they, they require something from the office. They need some support. And even though at times we are met with angry constituents because you can't solve everything, there are times when, um, you know, unfortunately their case is a bit too complex or requires legal support rather than casework support. Um, you know, people people can be disappointed, but um, I don't know. I think I think it hasn't been something that has been at the forefront. We do have security measures. We always have had security measures. Um, you know, we have a security door, and I think sometimes you measure people's um, you measure the threat as a team. You know, there are more than one person in the office at a time, and you kind of measure that threat as a team. But yeah, it's just it's not really been something of a concern up until recently, and I think, and it's been a shame it has impacted the way that the office runs because, you know, people generally as a, as a team you would be more on edge. Everything is everything feels a lot more volatile at the moment. Um, but yeah, I think um, there there are measures in place to safeguard us as as you know as staff in the in the constituency office. So. Um, I try not to go in with that, with the mentality that somebody might come to the door and harm us and just know that there are things in place in case somebody does come in and they don't have good intentions. Um, yeah, Brilliant. it's a shame because it's just not as open as it was before. No matter what the reason for a constituent's attending, caseworkers and MPs provide a vital service to those who come to see them, whether that is sorting a frustrating local issue or transforming someone's life by helping them access public services or sorting a complex immigration case. It's why so many caseworkers find themselves sticking with the role, often on low pay and with long hours, for many years. As Charlotte explains, the uniqueness of the role brings with it a sense of reward that can be hard to find in many other jobs. It's definitely rewarding. Being a caseworker is definitely rewarding um you know when someone comes in and the first time they come into the office and they they genuinely look you know like the whole world is on their shoulders and after you've helped them with something you know they seem a lot lighter and you know when people come in and they they say that their issue is resolved and you, you do get a sense of um you get a sense of relief and also you become very attached. I think one of the things that gets me up in the morning is um, my attachment to some of the cases because you talk with these people regularly. You go you go through the steps of getting them to where they want to be or to where they need to be. And so when someone comes in and their, their papers with the Home Office are not sorted and then the last time you see them, they've gotten their visa sorted and all of that stuff, it is very rewarding. Um, 
it can be it has its moments um it can be very frustrating when we don't get the answers that we're looking for or you know when it feels like we've hit a brick wall um with some cases um but overall i would say that it's a very rewarding job Thank you so much to all our guests on the episode, and thanks to you all again for listening. This episode was written by my colleague John Johnston. The editor was Laura Silver. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review. If you want to get in touch, then reach out to us on Twitter at Politics Home or email us via news at politicshome.com. But for now, have a great weekend and be sure to listen again next week for another episode of How Westminster Works. Thank you.